Hello there, cat people. Dan the Catman here, alone. Welcome to episode 39 of the Shelter Cats podcast, My Labor of Feline Love. Michelle, my co-host, will appear in other episodes. Uh, well, I'm recording this intro on in late December, December 28th, so happy almost 2024. Uh, the majority of today's amazing episode was recorded prior to my inviting Michelle to join the show as my co-host. So, like I said, some episodes will be me alone, uh, but more and more of the future episodes will be featuring my co-host, Michelle. So welcome to episode 39. I have a great guest for this week's episode. I can't believe I'm at 39 episodes ready. Wow. The Shelter Cats podcast is all about shelter cats, homeless cats, the cats that have made a difference in my life, that have saved my life, all about the people that either own amazing cats that came from shelters or have made a difference in the lives of shelter cats. Whether they own shelters, whether they just feed homeless cats, any way that they've made a difference in the lives of shelter cats. And all of that is to serve as an inspiration to get you, yeah you, to adopt a shelter cat of your own. Or if you have one, a second or a third. Adopt, don't shop. Right now, as I'm speaking to you, in my Brooklyn Jewish accent, there is an amazing, amazing cat sitting in a shelter, sitting in a rescue, sitting in a foster home, right now, waiting to go home with you and be that amazing cat as well. So, I want to hear from you as well. Welcome to my usual preamble. I want to hear from you. If you run a shelter, if you do animal rescue in any way, shape, or form, even if you just feed homeless cat colonies, or if you just own what you think is the most amazing cat ever, and that cat came from a shelter, I want to hear from you, and I want to have you on the show. So, how do you find me? You can email me, dan at tylerthecat.com. The website is tylerthecat.com. You can email my co-host, Michelle, michelle at tylerthecat.com. I'm on Facebook. There's a Facebook page called Shelter Cats. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. The, you just search Shelter Cats Podcast. Uh, my, I have a Twitter for the, uh, for the show, but use my Twitter. My Twitter is Dantracht, D-A-N-T-R-A-C-H-T. It's much more, um, much more active. And I'm on YouTube. I also just search Shelter Cats. I do just audios of the show, if you care to watch on YouTube, which, which I do. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of my own voice. And, last but not least, I have a Medium blog. Sheltercats.medium.com I, I do a blog every Saturday, and I'm trying to feature more and more cats that are up for adoption. So today, I have the unique privilege of interviewing my old friend and famed character actor, Van Epperson. Van lives in California, so I recorded this back in October, and... Uh, 8 o'clock his time was 11 o'clock my time. So this was a late night interview for me. There was a minor glitch in the middle because there always is. Van has been in countless things like Will and Grace. He's been in Murphy Brown. He was in the movie The Green Mile. More, he's been in more, more, he's had more amazing roles than you could possibly count. And 
I'm sure you've seen him. I'm sure you've seen his work. He does amazing work. And on top of that, on top of a storied career as an actor, he has owned some amazing cats that have really helped him, basically helped him to, to shape his career, been, been with him every step of the way. And he's got an amazing voice, and it was an amazing conversation. And just a nice, nice guy. So, without further ado, here is my interview with actor and friend Van Epperson. Enjoy. Hello, Van. Hello there. Can you hear me? I hear you. Can you hear me? I can indeed. Well, welcome to my Shelter Cats podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. I'm delighted you asked me. I'm sorry? I'm delighted that you asked me. Of course, of course. So just so my listeners know how you and I came to meet, we met on, I believe, Facebook through a shared love of the band, Yes. I think that's true. And uh, I think you moderated a couple of groups and many comments and Facebook messages later, we we became uh, friends. And through that, through that, I discovered a shared love of cats. And um, there's my connection to getting you on the show. So there we are. Yes, indeed. Um, I, I actually still moderate a, a couple of, of yes sites. And uh, currently I have two cats, but I've had cats most all my life. Awesome. So um, before I, you know, intro, you know, before I introduce and, and get the show going, the point behind my Shelter Cats podcast, it's, it's basically how everyday cats, not, you know, not shop cats or fancy cats, so everyday shelter street cats can make a big difference in someone's life. And, you know, I know I've had many cats that have made a big difference and in many respects have saved my life. So that's that's kind of the, the point behind my show is how just the normal cat that you pick up that you meet in a shelter could have such a huge impact on your life. So to begin, would you mind kind of, a lot of my listeners are, are very busy doing cat rescue. So can you introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Um, are we ready? Yes, sir. All right. Um, I'm Van Epperson. I'm an actor in Hollywood. I've been uh, working as an actor out here uh, over 35 years. Um, I, uh, I, I always like to say I'm not a star, I'm not rich, I'm not famous, but I actually am doing what I came out here to do and living my life doing what I love doing. And I'm very proud that I've been able to make a living doing this for so long. That's, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing. Uh, there's nothing better than following your dream. Absolutely right. So, so, uh, many, so many people give up on that w way too easily and way too early. And, and then, um, then you just have to wonder if, if they really feel fulfilled. So this has been your dream all your life. And through good and bad, ups and downs, you've never kind of lost track of that dream. Of, of making right, it. Uh, uh, kind of a quick little funny story. When I was in the tenth grade, we had to sign up for six classes one quarter, and there were only five I wanted. So the registrar said, "You know, you have to take one more class." And uh, there's only two things left: art and drama. And I said, "Well, I don't want to take a drama class. Put me down for art." 
And she took my card and she said, oh, I'm sorry, you cannot take an art class. You already have one. So you're taking drama. And I, I, I was furious. I, I remember going, heading for the school bus that day, just as angry as could be going, oh my gosh, I've got to take a drama class. Well, during that class in that quarter, I was cast in a play, uh, uh, our big school production of Alice in Wonderland. I was cast as the King of Hearts. And, oh, wow. um, and it just, it came so naturally to me and I loved it. And I've never stopped acting ever since. I had tried being a musician before that. And I tried various instruments and just was never very good at it. But when I started acting, I, I just fell right in and it came to me completely naturally and it, it, it felt good. It felt right. I, I knew it was my art form. And, and, your, and your calling. Yes, yes. So, so you know, uh, through the years, of course, many people told me, oh, do something else. You're never going to make it. You're never going to get anywhere. You'll never make a living that way. And, and I've proven all of that wrong because I just stuck to what my dream was. And where did you where did you grow up? I grew up in Athens, Georgia. I actually went to uh, uh, high school and college with uh, some members of the B-52s and REM. And um, I, I've always made the joke that uh, I had a band, my own band back then. And I, I've always made the joke that uh, I left rock and roll to become an actor only to find out that my friends all became rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they went in their direction and you went in yours. I didn't you know, know that you know the B-52s. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I was at their uh, their first ever live performance at a, a little hole-in-the-wall um, bar in Athens called The Last Resort. And I think it was intended, it was on Halloween, it was intended to be the um, just a one-night gig, but it went over so well, they, they kept having them back. <laughs> and and they're still, I think they're, they're, they were on their farewell tour now, so they're still out there. Well, they just did their farewell tour, but as soon as they were done with that, they announced a residency in Las Vegas, and they did that. And now they've announced that they're going to be back in Vegas in April for another residency. So I'm not sure why it was the final tour. <laughs> <laughs> so many farewell tours never end up being farewells. Right. Um, I, I, I remember when Ozzy Osbourne announced um, the uh, the second farewell tour. <laughs> Absolutely. And did you did you grow up with cats? I'm trying. I'm trying to keep this as cat centric as possible. I, I I did grow up with cats. Uh, when I was very little, I mean, before even starting school, before the first grade, we had a uh, what in my memory was a really large uh, gray tabby cat whose name was Thomas. I have no idea who named him or where he came from. Uh, but that cat, uh, as a little boy, I so loved that cat. I would pick him up, and I was so tiny that I had to. I had to like. Um, wrap my arms around him under his front legs. And so he would like dangle down and drag on the floor. And he would, <laughs> let, he would let me carry him around the house for hours and hours and, and never, never complain, never try to get away. I, apparently he loved me as much as I did him. So uh, yeah. I have very fond memories of Thomas. In fact, we, we lived in a house, there was a front porch on it and there was a giant tree out in the front yard uh, over, over to one side. And, um, when he would, he had these little marks on his head. I never knew what they were until one day I saw that he came over to that tree and he stopped and he looked around and he looked up and looked around and then he took off running for the front porch and a couple of blue jays started swooping down and pecking him on the head. And oh, that is what those marks on his head were from. <laughs> that sounds like from a horror movie almost. Yeah, I know. I know he was obviously uh, he would stop and check out are those birds anywhere nearby. OK, let's go for it. Blue Jays. I, 
I have blue jays that eat cat food from my back door. I wasn't aware that they could be so mean. <laughs> uh, well, they, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he had been after them and that made them mean, or if that was just their nature. I have no idea. Yeah, they they had they had beef with him somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you, at what point did you move to California, and, and coinciding with your pursuing your love of acting? Uh, well, I. Uh, I went through, I graduated high school. I went to college. I changed schools every year so I could stay in leading roles on the, on the, big, on the big stage at all of those schools. Uh, then I went to grad school in a directing program. Uh, then I spent a few years acting and directing um, throughout the Southeast. Um, and then uh, I think in 1985, I was the resident artistic director of a giant historical drama in Kentucky. And um, I, I, I met a woman that I married there. We were long since divorced, but uh, we met there and we decided we're actors. Let's go to Hollywood and see what's going on there. So it was the fall of 1985 that I moved out here. And you've been there ever since? I have, yes. I, I, I love it here. I, I used to love living in Atlanta um, and uh, I, I've lived various places. Um, and and when I got to LA, it was like, wow, this just feels very much like Atlanta to me. I feel very at home here. I really like it here. And I still do. And you can't imagine going anywhere else. Would you ever move back to Atlanta? No, uh, I, I, I still have friends back in Athens who uh, every once in a while they say, oh, Van, you really ought to move back here. You ought to come back to Atlanta because there's lots of movie studios here now. And I'm like, you know what? I love where I live. And all the casting directors know me. And at my age, I really don't want to start over. I feel the same way about New York. As, as much as I dislike it sometimes, whenever I actually think about leaving, I, the same emotion comes over me. I don't think I could ever quite leave. So I, I completely no, understand that. That's exactly the way I am. And uh, again, I'm, I'm, I want to ask about every 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 role you've ever been in, but I'm trying to keep this cat-centric. <laughs> um, had you always had cats out in California as well? Has Have, have, have cats I, kind of been in your life that whole time or were there? Yes, when, when, we, when we first moved out here, when I was still married, um, uh, I, went, I, I was doing temp work as a secretary um, uh, and I was very good at that. So uh, one day I went home at lunch and there was a tiny little kitten, just a solid gray, beautiful little kitten sitting on the front porch of, of my apartment building. And uh, the steps, he, he couldn't maneuver the steps to get off the porch. He was stuck there. And she, I, I should say, she was stuck there. And so at first I thought, oh, we're not supposed to have pets here. So I kind of squeezed my way through the front door and left that kitten on the front porch. And uh, you had to, I don't know, make like, three, four, maybe even five turns down the hallway to get to where my apartment door was. So after I'd eaten my lunch, I decided to go out to the mailbox and get my mail. And when I opened the front door, that kitten went running through my legs and down the hall. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, now I've got to catch this kitten. And so I went after the kitten to try to catch her. And then to my complete amazement, it dropped my jaw. She made all the corners down that hall, went straight to my door and put her paws up on, the, on my door. And I said, okay, all right, I think I have to keep you. So um, I took her inside and we had a balcony on that apartment that had solid walls around it. And the kitten, again, it was too small to get down the steps. It was too small to get over those walls. So I put her out on the balcony 
And um, I called my wife and I said, when you get home today, because she would be home before I was, I said, just look out on the balcony. And so she looked out on the balcony and I knew that she was allergic to cats and was going to tell me I couldn't keep the cat. Plus, we weren't supposed to have a cat. So um, she did call me after she looked out and saw the cat. And instead of telling me what I expected, she said, oh, she's beautiful. I love her. So we got to keep her. And uh, we, we named her Murphy because I had been um, on an episode of, I, I was actually on several episodes of the show Murphy Brown, and we couldn't figure out a name for Hello, the cat. We were yes? Are you still there? Welcome back to the show. Yes, yes, indeed. I, I knew something had happened. Uh, yeah. As great as this software is, sometimes I had the director of one of the biggest shelters on Long Island, and right in the middle of, of her telling me about the history of their organization, it went out. So oh. when, le- when last we left our hero, the kitten was on the, the, was on the porch, and you had just called your wife. <laughs> Okay. All right. So I I was expecting my wife because she was allergic to cats and I knew that I was expecting her to call me and say, um, uh, we can't keep her because I'm allergic. But when she called, she actually said, oh, she's beautiful. I love her. So I I got to keep her and we beat around the bush about a a name for her for, I don't know, two or three weeks. And um, I, I got a recurring role on the show Murphy Brown on television. And so when we were watching the first episode of that, that I was on, we both just suddenly sat up and looked at each other and said, Murphy. So we, <laughs> named, her, we named her Murphy. And how long did Murphy stay with you? Um, Murphy stayed with me. Um, uh, I think she passed around 11 years old and she was, uh, she, she uh, helped me. I, I, this is a little morbid, but she helped me through um, my mother's passing my father's passing, um, uh, through my brother's passing, through uh, my divorce. And, and I just, I don't think I emotionally would have gotten through those things without her companionship. In, in fact, when, when we were about to get divorced, the very first thing I told my lawyer was she cannot have the cat. <laughs> <laughs> More important than you'd realize. Um yeah, yeah, uh, they become a part of your family. There, and for a guy like me that I have no children, so uh, they they are my family, and I, I love them as much as I would love a child. I think. I I don't have kids either. I prefer cats to children. So believe me, I I completely understand. Yeah, I've um, been around children so little that I, they they actually make me a little nervous. I kind of clam up and don't know what to say. And and cats do just the opposite. Cats bring me right out. So. Yeah, you could be sarcastic with a cat. You can't be sarcastic with children. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They look at me like I'm not understanding that. Are you? Are you just being mean? Never mind. So I, <laughs> I completely understand that. Um, and and yes, you know, helping you. Would you say that that what was? Would you say that Murphy helped you? Helped you in any way with your role in Murphy Brown? 
would you say that there was any kind of because she, she she was apparently there for you through through a lot of a lot of traumatic experiences in an eleven year span. Would you say that? Would you say that she helped with get that role or helped you in any way? I don't know if she helped me get that role, but certainly once I was divorced, it, 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 I had someone to come home to. I had someone to take care of, someone to care about, and that um, emotionally got me through that because the divorce was the divorce was just totally devastating to me. And so Murphy, Murphy made all the difference in the world to me. And then when, when, when it came time that Murphy eventually passed, um, that was, I think, harder on me than when I lost my mom and my dad. I can understand that. I can definitely understand that. Well, I think I, part of it, part of it, Dan, is that, um, you know, the, the cat was part of my life every day. My parents lived back East. And so I saw them like twice a year. That their passing did not change my daily routine, but, yes. but Murphy's Murphy's passing did change my daily routine. Yes, believe believe me, I understand that. I completely understand that. I actually found out this evening that my dad is not doing well in Florida, and I have a cat named Tucker. You've probably seen him on my Facebook, um, and yeah. and he has this like I'm sure Murphy did. He has this kind of the sixth sense like he just knows the second my emotions kind of change and my father and i don't have the i, I won't go into it we don't have the best relationship so you know there's kind of a a of a whole gamut of emotions just to kind of do you know just to kind of contemplate that i'm at this point in my life where that might happen and the first thing that the first thing that happened after I found out that news is there's Tucker sitting there looking at me like, can I help you? I'm here for you. Um, well, I, you know, some, some people call some cats um, healing cats. And yes. uh, I, I don't think all of my cats have been that way, but certainly uh, several of them have uh, where they just, as you just said, had a sixth sense that something was wrong, that I needed support and, and were fully um, prepared to offer it. Absolutely. So who, who followed Murphy? Well, let me see. Uh, following Murphy, uh, I, I think a couple of years went by because I was, um, um, the divorce caused me to lose the condo and I had to move apartments a couple of times. So when I finally got settled in an apartment um, permanently, I, I thought, okay, I've got I've to get cats. Um, so there was a, a vet uh, about a block away from where my apartment was. And I, I went up there and she had kittens in a, a cage right inside the front door and they were adoptable. Um, and now, in fact, now that I'm thinking back about this, uh, this was actually, um, I, I, I just said that a little wrong because this was actually before Murphy passed. It was a few weeks before Murphy passed. I went up to the vets to get something for Murphy and I found those kittens in that cage. And there were two of them I really wanted. And so um, I, I told the vet, I would like these two cats. And she said, okay, then I will keep them and they are yours and you don't have to come pick them up until Murphy has left. So uh, that's exactly wow. what we did. That's exactly what we did. And uh, one of them was, um, was a, a tortie, a, a girl, a tortie. She was, I still to this day think the most beautiful cat I ever saw in my life. Her coloring was so unique. And, um, and she had a, uh, a unique thing. She had a half-length tail. 
which was just totally adorable. She was born with it. People always ask what happened to her tail. Well, nothing happened to it. That's the way she was born. But the other cat that I got that uh, out of the, uh, that cage was um, a solid black cat. And uh, I ended, uh, oh, the tortie I named Maggie. I don't know why. And the black cat, <laughs> I originally, I was trying to find a name that, um, that kind of indicated that it was a black cat. And um, I finally, I didn't want to name him Blackie or anything normal. So uh, I finally came up with Slick, like oil Slick, Slick. So I first named him Slick, but he had a particular personality. He was very, um, I, I don't know, sophisticated. Um, he, he acted uh, like, like proper, a proper kind of cat. And um, <laughs> so his name became after a while, just naturally Mr. Slick. And that's what he was for the rest of his life. And he actually, uh, Mr. Slick lived longer than any cat I've ever had. He lived until he was 19 years and four months old. Wow. That's a very long and fulfilled, dis distinguished life for a distinguished gentleman. Yes, and his, his sister Maggie uh, only made it to 13. So, um, And then I, I also, though, along the way, I had those two cats. And about six months later, um, I went up to the vets to get something else. And there were these kittens, a bunch of uh, gray tabby kittens in that same cage that I had found Maggie and Mr. Slick in. And... Um, I, I thought, well, I've already got two cats. I can't have any more cats. I live in a one-bedroom apartment. So um, uh, there was one in particular, though, that was very interested in me. Every time I'd go through the door, I had to go to the vets frequently. Every time I went through the door, this one particular cat would uh, pay me attention. And uh, then after a while, those cats, I don't know, there were several. There were like, I don't know, six or seven of them in that cage. And it ended up that all of them had been adopted, but the one that paid me all that attention. So when I went up there and he was the only one left, I said, okay, all right, I probably shouldn't do this, but I want that cat. <laughs> so um, I don't so think she, you had a, I don't think you had a choice. He picked me. He picked me. So um, uh, I, I took him home and his name became Jasper and he lived until he was 15 years old. <laughs> you see what I, what I love about, what I love about these stories is, you know how how that these cats have paralleled your life and your career and everything you've gone through, and you did not have to go to a shelter once. <laughs> they've just found their way. They've found their way into your life, and not nobody that I've had on this show. You're my fortieth episode. Nobody that I've spoken to can can definitively say that up to this point. I don't know if you know we haven't gotten to the present day. But none of these, you know, Murphy, Murphy basically bolted into your apartment and, and, and said, I'm moving. I'm living here. You don't have to live here if you don't want to. That's and correct. If I could interject, Dan, there, there's a really funny little story about Murphy, because I told you we weren't supposed to have pets in that building. And so um, uh, the uh, manager changed and it became the uh, landlord's son. And he was not a very friendly guy. So um, he, he came banging on our door one day and I, I said, oh my gosh, get the cat. And we put Murphy in the bedroom and closed the door. So then I went and opened the door and Joseph came inside and he said, you have a cat. And I said, oh no, we don't, no, we don't have a cat. And he said, yes, you do. I've heard it meowing through the door when you're not home in the day. And, and I, I'm standing there saying, no, 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 we don't have a cat. Well, I guess we didn't close the bedroom door well enough because all of a sudden here came Murphy running out of the bedroom 
like 90 miles an hour, rounded the corner, ran straight toward Joseph, the new manager, and took a flying leap and, and, and uh, with her claws, grabbed onto his jeans, like right up by his crotch, just grabbed on oh, and was no. just hanging there totally just hanging there. And my wife and I are standing there like not knowing what to say because we had just said we don't have a cat. And, um, and Joseph, that? <laughs> oh my God. Joseph looked down at the cat and he looked up at us because he knew we'd just been lying to him. And then he, he reached down and he pulled Murphy off of his leg, handed her to me. He turned around and left and never said another word about the cat. Wow. So you got, so obviously you got to stay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do we know if Joseph ever owned a cat of his own? I have no idea. Uh, we moved out of that building, I don't know, six, six seven months after that. And I, I, I don't know whatever happened to Joseph. <laughs> that's, a, that's an amazing story. Mur Murphy, Murphy defending her homestead. Well, she just, it, I've never seen another cat do that. Just take a flying leap and grab onto someone's leg and just hang there. <laughs> well, my landlord comes in. My cats are like, "We're out of here. Let us know when he's. When he, let us know when he leaves." Your cat's yeah. like, "Your cat's like, die, get out of here." <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Murphy was kind of like, "I am here to stay." <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if if she was a vocal cat, but obviously, you answered that question. And she was meowing when you weren't home. Right. I guess she was lonely, <laughs> and she knew that we went out that door. <laughs> So, Mister Mister Slick and Company, um, what? Where was your, if I may ask, your your acting career at that point? Um, I didn't. Um, I, 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 I didn't. I, I didn't memorize Wikipedia because I like to. I like to learn as I actually speak to people. I had by that point gotten my acting career to the place where uh, most of the casting directors knew me. I had gone through two or three pretty bad agents, and I finally had an agent that actually uh, was was a decent agent. And uh, so, uh, you know, a character actor like me, you don't work all the time. You, you get um, five or six jobs a year, and they can last anywhere from a day to uh, to a month, and anywhere in between. So most of the time, I'm at home, and most of I always say that I make my living auditioning because you you audition all the time but you only act, you only actually get a job once in a while. So uh, I, I was actually, uh, by the time I, I had uh, Maggie and Mr. Slick and Jasper, uh, I was, I was, I could stop temping and, and uh, make my living acting. So you, and I, I may, I may ask dumb, dumb acting questions. You had an agent. So what, how would you define character actor? I don't actually I couldn't, I couldn't answer that question. What does that mean exactly? Okay. Basically, there's two categories. There's leading actors and there's character actors. Um, so most of the actors you're familiar with are character actors, unless they're big stars. Um, leading actors, people that can play the leading roles, you know, they're very good looking. Um, they're like, they're, they appear like perfect people. You know, the Tom Cruises, um, the Leonardo DiCaprio's, they just, they're, those are leading actors. But a character actor is someone who plays supporting roles. And listen, the, the, those, uh, the stars cannot do what they do without us. The, it's, the, um, it's the character actors that fill in all the supporting roles and bring the world around the stars to life. So they're very dependent on us. And they're actually, most of them that I've worked with uh, in my career, they've, um, they've been extremely supportive 
of, of uh, the character actors, the supporting actors, which is also called day players. Um, they are, because you're often only there for a day. Um, they've been very supportive of me and the others because they know that they cannot do what they do without having a good actor to play off of. They right. can't exist in a vacuum. So um, uh, they've been really, really great to me. But a character actor basically is someone who plays supporting roles and can play a wide variety of types. I know that um, my agent, uh, once in a while, you know, the work gets a little slow and you call your agent and say, hey, um, I, need, I need auditions. And my agent always says, man, you've been on everything in town. It's hard to get you auditions. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's a problem I want to have, but I still need auditions. <laughs> So, so it's, it's back and forth. So it's, it's sometimes the agent will call you. Sometimes you have to kind of press, press the issue. Um, well, you know, uh, you don't, actors don't work for the agent. The agent works for you. The agent is your representative. So uh, yeah. you have to, uh, it took me years to learn this. You, you have to um, be in control of your career. And if things are not happening, you've got to pick up the phone and talk to the people that are your support base that can make things happen for you. And I, I'm fortunate now. I've I've got the best agent I've ever had, ever, ever. And I've kept him almost ten years now. And I have no intention of letting him go because once once you get a really good one, you just you hang on. He becomes a family member also in a way, much like the cats. That's all. what what makes him great. Um, he he does what's called pitching me. That means he gets on the phone when there's a role he thinks I can do. He gets on the phone and he calls the casting directors and he says, you need to consider Van for this. Van needs to come in on this part. And um, and he will argue with them if they think, oh, Van's not right for this. Van Van's not the kind of actor I would want to see for this. And he'll argue with them, I, I believe. And now I've never really heard him do this, but I have the impression that he argues with them until they get so frustrated. They finally say, OK, fine, fine. Send him in. I'll see him. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, a lot of the time, I, I'm very good at auditioning because uh, I took a great class in it back when I was first out here. And most actors don't do that. They just think their talent will get them work. Well, talent's a dime a dozen. So I learned the skill of auditioning from an expert. And uh, that made me an expert. And so I very often win the parts. I, I'll throw in one little quick story. I there was a, a very tiny role I went in on, on the uh, Ted Danson's show that was called Becker, where he played a doctor. Oh, and, sure. um, and they sent me to the wrong place on the studio lot to go to the audition. So I went and there was a sign-in sheet. I signed in and no one else ever showed up. So about an hour later, I'm thinking, okay, something's got to be wrong here because the casting director's not here. There's no other actors here. And when I stood up to start to leave, the casting director came walking in and she was clearly mad at me when she saw me. And she said, Van, you just missed your callback. That's that's your second audition. You just missed your callback across the lot at this other building. And I said, well, I'm sorry. This is where you sent me. And I showed her my call notice that said I was where I was supposed to be. So, see, it was her mistake, not mine. So um, she instantly said, oh, my goodness, you, you just wait right here. And she went in her office and she came back and handed me some sides for a, an episode of Becker. And she said, why don't you come back on Monday and audition for this? And I said, fine, well, it happened to be the guest star role. And I could kind of tell by the way she was doing this. She was just trying to keep me from being mad at her. She was, she was like giving me a cookie, so to speak. So um, I, I said, fine. She didn't think I was going to book that part at all. And I came back in on Monday and I auditioned for that part. And the second I opened my mouth on the first line, I could see on her face that she went, oh, my God. 
he's going to get this. <laughs> and I did. I booked that. That was my first guest starring role on television. And I, so I got the audition kind of by a fluke because she sent me to the wrong place. I'm glad she made that mistake. That's me too. Me too. Sometimes mistakes can pay off, Dan. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you ever, my, my biggest question, this is the one question I wrote down. Have you ever acted with cats? Have any of your roles involved cats? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, d I don't remember any of them involving cats. I do remember that um, I, was in, I was in the play, You Can't Take It With You. This was way back in high school, and it's in the script that there's, that there's a cat on the set. So uh, I do remember that we had a cat there, but I don't think I had any, any interaction with that cat. And in a, a stage play like that, because it's a theater, you kind of let the cat be there for the time it's required, and then you get it off stage so it doesn't go running out into the audience. <laughs> yeah, that could be a, that could be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I have uh, been in scenes with dogs. I've been in scenes um, uh, uh, with a donkey. <laughs> okay, I've, can I? What was I've that? Been, I've been. Uh, I've been. Uh, the donkey. That was an episode of. Um, oh, what was the name of that show? Uh, it was the the um, Veep. That was an episode of Veep, and uh, and the donkey was. It was a scene in a church, and they had. We were shooting on location in a church, and uh, during this ceremony they would walk the donkey into the aisle and he would stand there and just be a part of the scene. And I was very disappointed when I saw the episode. They had cut the donkey out altogether. He was not in it. But you know, now that I tell you that story, Dan, I'm remembering that part of that scene was there were several cats that had to come out a door and run across the stage, like, like the pulpit up at the front of the, of the chapel. And um, this happened several times that cats ran across the stage. I had nothing to do with them. I wasn't near them. That's why I wasn't remembering that. But there were absolutely cats in that scene. And they, you know, they had uh, uh, trained cats and a cat trainer who had a little clicker. So she could click the clicker and the cat would know when to come in. And it was trained right where it was supposed to go to. So they, they went through that stuff like clockwork with the little clicker to get the cats to do what they needed them to do. That's awesome. Okay, so there were cats. I knew, I, knew, I knew there had to be a cat involved in something you've done. Well, uh, yes, yes, and, uh, and, and plus that donkey was in that scene. And then um, I've, I've, I've uh, had pretty nice roles on a show called Documentary Now, which are they're mockumentaries. They're not real documentaries. They're spoofs of documentaries. And when you first start watching them, if you don't know that, you, in, you first think this is really weird. And then after about 10 minutes into it, you're going, okay, this cannot possibly be real. It just can't <laughs> be real. And uh, I played a farmer in, in one of those. And I got to, they asked me after we had shot my scene, how are you about feeding goats? And I said, I've never fed goats. And they said, we mean like feeding them out of your hand. And I said, okay, well, do they bite? And they said, no, no, they, they use their lips to scoop the food up out of your hand. They're very gentle. So I said, okay, fine. So um, I think in that episode, I'm, I feed goats for about five seconds, but they spent a half an hour shooting me feeding goats. So, and, and listen, something that shocked me when I fed those goats, I don't know if all goats are this way or not, but the goats that I was feeding, the pupils in their eyes were square. Really? Right. You know, humans have round pupils and cats have those like oval pupils. And the goats that I was feeding had square pupils. I had never seen that before. It was really kind of freaky. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, are they they're like alien goats. I've never, I've, now I have to go find a video of a goat. I've, that, that never occurred to me. Yeah, I, listen, I don't know, but um, uh, there were several little baby goats and there, and there was the big mom, mama goat. And I had the bag of food. So the goats were just crowded around me trying to get to that food. 
And uh, the mother just was not nice to the baby goats about it at all. She wanted that food for herself. She would use her head, her nose to push the baby goats out of the way so she could get to the bag of food. And at one point when I turned so I could get the food to the babies, she turned sideways and just slammed herself into my legs like to knock me over because she wanted food. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't they didn't bite but mama was willing to knock me over to get that food <laughs> <laughs> sounds a lot like my ex-girlfriend but i digress <laughs> <laughs> what 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 would you say all right i'm asking acting questions i'm sorry what would you say is your favorite role in an episode of documentary now i i played a guy uh, who was running for the governor of ohio and, um, and I was the guest star of the episode. Uh, it's always great when you get to be the guest star because usually I'm a supporting player. Um, and the, the people that make that show, um, it's, it's, uh, it's Bill Hader and Fred Armisen from Saturday Night Live. And uh, they, the first time I was on it, they just, they, they fell in love with me and they said, you're gonna, we're gonna keep bringing you back because we really like you. And uh, we, we got along really, really well. And so in that episode, it was a spoof of a, um, of a real documentary that was about Bill Clinton running for president the first time he ran. And so this was a guy running for governor of Ohio. And, um, and I, I, I watched the real documentary the night before we shot it and realized Bill had his, his Arkansas accent. So I just let my Southern accent come right through when I did that part, even though it was Ohio and they, they didn't complain. They let me do it. Um, it was fabulous to be the guest star. And uh, the funny thing was about that episode, it was a spoof of a documentary about Bill Clinton, but it was really poking fun at the Donald Trump campaign. And the whole gist of the story was this guy that's running for governor is totally unqualified. He, he doesn't know how to do anything that the governor needs to do. And Bill Hader and Fred Armisen were playing my campaign managers. And so they had dialogue in scenes I wasn't in where they kept saying, well, he's totally unqualified, but we're going to get him elected. So, uh, so <laughs> I, I, loved, I loved that. Yeah, it does. I loved that episode. And, and I love working on that show. I love working with Bill and Fred. I will throw in that, that Bill, who is a master of improvisation, the man cannot open his mouth without cracking you up. And, um, uh, there was a scene they like to ad lib at the end of the scenes after the after the director calls cut. And um, there was one scene where they started ad libbing and I joined in because I was in the scene. I started ad libbing with them. And then at one point, Bill just put his head in his hands and said, oh, my gosh, man, I'm so sorry. And I said, what? And he said, I'm just I'm not good at improv like you are. And I went, oh, my Lord, Bill, <laughs> no one could have said that to me and made it more of a compliment than coming from you. So I, I still consider that the highest compliment I ever got from anyone as an actor. That's, <laughs> that's, that is absolutely amazing. <laughs> You're is telling me a, it, it was amazing that day when he said it. <laughs> that's to come from him of all people. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I definitely love his work. Well, listen, um, I've, all, I've always thought improv was my weakest point as an actor. And then Bill said that. So um, I, I no longer think that. When Bill said that, he, he, he let that, um, that negativity out of me. It, it just went away. <laughs> and, now, and now more improv. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was there, well, was there a role that you wanted that you, re that you didn't work out, that you regret not getting? Is that a loaded question? Well, I, I would say that that has happened hundreds of times. I, I mean, 
I, I do know that um, when you get an audition for something and you read it and you think, oh, this is me, I've got to have this, like most of the time you don't book that part. It just doesn't happen. It's, uh, and I don't know why that is. Uh, but um, so I, I can't really even pinpoint for you a role I really wanted that I didn't get, but that's happened lots and lots of times. Is that, does that get easier to overcome that, that disappointment? Does that, does that get easier over time or? It, it does because after a while you just realize that's the nature of the business. It's the nature of what you do. And so I, I told you, I took that um, auditioning class years ago. And one of the things that guy taught us that took kind of years to sink in to me and, and for me to really get it was that whether you book the job or not, you just move on to the next audition because you're going to get another one. You're going to get another one. Just, just move on. Just keep doing what you do. And who are your current cats? My current cats. I have a black cat named um, Rocco, R-O-C-C-O, Rocco. And I have a gray tabby cat named Oliver. I did not name either of these cats. Um, I got them... Um, from a, a, a shelter place that um, that would, when they would get the kittens, they would uh, send them out to foster homes. So I had to go to the foster home where these two cats were and meet them and see if I liked them and if I wanted them. And listen, um, I just told you Mr. Slick lived 19 years and he was a black cat. And Oliver lived 15 years and he was a gray tabby. So I, I was going, I was trying to find another black cat. After Mr. Slick passed, I wanted another black cat. And I had seen a picture of Rocco online. So I, I called that uh, shelter and I arranged to go over there and meet Rocco. And when I was able to meet Rocco, Oliver came walking out of the other room. So here's this great happy. And they told me these two cats are not from the same litter. They're not related, but they were actually born on the same day. And they have been together since they were three weeks old. And so, and it was quite clear to me, these two cats completely, totally love each other. So there was no way I could take Rocco without taking Oliver. So I went, I went to get one cat and, and um, I, I took both of them and they, they actually, uh, I had to go pick them up. Like, I don't know, four or five days later. Um, I had to get my cat carriers, put them in my car, go back to the shelter and take them inside. And then they put them in the, in the carriers for me and carried them out to my car for me. And, um, and then I, I, I will admit that I occasionally uh, slip up and call Rocco Mr. Slick and slip up and call Oliver Jasper. And then I immediately correct myself because I know that's not who they are. But they, but they give off that vibe. Well, they look the same. You know, it's, they're <laughs> a gray tabby and a black cat. Now, Oliver's markings, you know, tabby's markings are all different. Oliver's markings are completely different than Jasper's were. But their faces, their heads look like exactly the same. Or at least what, in my memory, they look exactly the same. Right. Yeah, and they all have that, like, M or W on their foreheads. Right, right. right. Now, now uh, Jasper had uh, the markings on his body that were the kind of tabby lines all over the place. Right. And right. Oliver's got really dark markings that uh, go into, like, a big swirl on, on both of his sides rather than lines. Um, someone that came over to, to uh, for audition coaching, actually, uh, when he met my cats, uh, my new cats. He said, um, oh, that one is a Bengal. And I said, no, no, that's a, that's just a tabby. And he said, no, that's a, that, that cat has Bengal in him. And uh, so uh, that caused me to go over to the computer and look it up. And I found those markings on Bengals. And that guy was absolutely right. So Oliver has Bengal in him. He's not just a tabby. 
And um, do you think he acts like a Bengal? Because from, ba- Bengals could be pretty energetic, from what I'm told. Well, he is absolutely the most curious cat I have ever had. Um, he gets himself into trouble every day. <laughs> um, whereas, whereas Rocco is like the perfect cat. Rocco never gets into any trouble at all. And, uh, and he's always a complete gentleman, always nice, uh, except uh, my best friend, uh, Rocco's pretty, pretty muscular. He's pretty strong. And so um, I learned early on, oh, okay, I can't trim his claws on my own. So my best friend, who also has cats, he comes over once in a while to trim Rocco's claws. And so Rocco will hiss at him and swat at him, but no one else, just him. He's, he's, he's totally nice to everybody, but Christopher, and I'm sure that's because Christopher trims his claws. And we, have to, <laughs> we, had, we had to get one of those plastic globe things you put over the cat's head while you trim their claws. Yep, and, yeah, of course. And I yes. have to I have to hold a towel and hold Rocco down while Christopher trims his claws. The towel I use like a wall, but so that um, Rocco cannot see Christopher trimming his claws. He can't see what's going on. He can only feel it. And he's got the globe on his head, so he he can't hiss and and, and bite or anything like that. And so uh, that makes it all very easy to get through. That globe thing is fabulous. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I I can I only. Can... I can only clip um, my oldest cat's claws when he's asleep. The rest of them, I have to wait till they go to the vet. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally understand. They're, um, some cats just really do not like having their claws trimmed. But now, listen, we talked about Murphy a little while ago. Murphy, um, Murphy knew she was being taken care of and pampered. And Murphy would just totally relax and lay there in your arms or on your lap and start purring while you were trimming her claws. Murphy just sounds like a one of a kind cat. Uh, every cat is special. Every cat, you know, leaves their mark in your heart and as at a certain place in your life. But Murphy just sounds like, like, like my very first cat, Tyler. Uh, just sounds like, like just one of those one of a kind cats that, um, never to be repeated again. Right. I think that's true. Uh, in my experience, again, I've had cats all my life. I've had some that you and I haven't talked about um, that um, um, th- they do become like your family, but they all have their own personality. Everyone is completely unique. No two of them are alike. So what would you, in terms of like the net, um where you live in California, do you do you see a lot of like homeless cats? Would you say that has changed in the decades you've lived out there? Do you see a lot of um, you know issues with with cats around your neighborhood? You know, I I, I do not see that. Um, but then um, where I live now, I, I I've got this very fabulous apartment in a very fancy building that I completely lucked into, and um, uh. There's no, there are other animals in the building. Uh, I see people taking their dogs out for a walk, but like uh, Rocco and Oliver stay in my home all the time. They never go outside. Uh, Maggie, Slick, and Jasper also always stayed in my apartment. They never went outside. Murphy never went outside uh, because it's a big city and they'll get run over in the street or something or get lost. Murphy, Murphy at one point got out. I don't know how. And she was lost for I think it was four days and I just went bonkers trying to find her. I couldn't find her. And uh, the vet finally said, uh, is there something that she carries around your apartment? Uh, something of yours? 
And I, and I said, yeah, she carries my dirty socks around. And she said, okay, get some of your dirty socks and put them on your porch outside your door and then watch for her at night. And uh, I did that. And that very night I saw Murphy outside and was able to go outside and get her back. So the, the these are these are apartments that open to the outside. There's not like a hallway in a building. The one I live in now is a hallway in a building. So if they were okay. to get out of this apartment, they'd just be in a hallway and I could get them. But the uh, that my previous apartment, the doors did open straight to the outside. And um, I do remember now how Murphy got out. Uh, Murphy uh, would kind of go crazy when she saw another cat and she saw another cat in the yard across the street one day and she took off running. And I, I couldn't I couldn't catch her. I couldn't get her. And then right. she was gone for four days. But like I say, when I put the socks out on the front porch, the scent on the socks drew her back to my door and I was able to go outside and get her. Uh, the vet did tell me, you know, a lot of people, Van, try to do this with the litter box. They think the, the scent of the litter box will draw the cat back. But my vet said that does not work most of the time. You're much better off if you put a plush toy they carry around or your socks that they carry around outside because it's got your scent all over it. And and it's your scent that will draw them back, not their scent in the litter box. I, I could vouch for that. I had a I had I interviewed a professional pet tracker who she left a career in selling Ferraris to track lost cats and dogs. And mm. she said she said that very thing. The litter thing is the biggest mistake they will. Just put something that smells like you and smells like your home and they'll find their way back. And that's exactly what happened. Now, when I went outside to get her, she ran from me and went under a car. So the nightmare of getting her back was trying to get her out from under that car, that parked car. But anyway, I, I did it. I managed to get her. <laughs> now, would you say she's your, this is a horrible question. Would you say she's your favorite cat? Because you said you've had. I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't. For some reason, and I don't know why, and I don't mean to discount any of the others, but Mr. Slick was my favorite. He's the one who lived the longest, and uh, he just he just stuck by me. He he followed me everywhere around the apartment. I had him for almost twenty years, and um, you know when Jasper passed, I thought no cat is ever going to live up to you, but Mr. Slick was still there, and he he proved me wrong. Mr. Slick did more than live up to Jasper, even though Jasper was just a fabulous cat. Everybody that ever met Jasper instantly fell in love with him. He had the, he had the friendliest, greatest personality. Just a people-pleasing, a people-pleasing cat. But the black, the black cats always surprise everybody in just how, how long they live and just the, they're, they're kind of, they're steady they're just like a steady good presence in your life. My first cat was a tuxedo. Um, I have, I'm sure you've seen on my Facebook, I have homeless cats that show up for food. And the black one that I just lost in January was the same thing. He was always like a perfect gentleman. He would wait for his food patiently. He never caused trouble. And they're just... That's, that's exactly the, the way both Mr. Slick and Rocco are. And so I've often... I'm glad you're saying this to me, Dan, because I've often wondered with, with Rocco, is this, is this like a, just a personality trait of black cats? Because Mr. Slick was the first black cat I ever had. And uh, then Rocco being the second one. And um, there are lots of things about them that are very different, but their general personality and their demeanor are really almost identical. And by perfect timing, we're recording this a few days before Halloween. So um, there you go. You know. There you go. I, I, 
I never knew that black cats were so unique and special. Mr. Slick taught me that they are, but I thought it was just him. But then I got Rocco and it's like, wow, you're so much like him. This must just be the way black cats are. You know, and they have that reputation for Halloween and, and being bad luck and, and scary and all that, but they're, they're always, they're, they're just, they're just, they make amazing pets. I have a friend who insisted on adopting an, an only a black cat and her cat is actually named Jasper and um, uh, came with a, a cat on Long Island named Jasper. Who, who would have thought? And, you know, I, I laughed at that because um, uh, with the actors on strike at the moment, um, I'm actually directing a web series uh, that I created uh, in the meantime to keep me busy and keep me working. And I went to my editors. My editor has recently moved to a new apartment and his girlfriend from, from North California has moved in with him and she brought her cats. And there's a, a large tabby cat there who has no tail. She says he's a minx. I don't really know what that is. Uh, anyway, um, I said, oh, wh what's, what's this cat's name? And it's Jasper. <laughs> it's, it's a great name. And she didn't think once to change to change his name, and he's just he's a Jasper, and also he's he's a perfect gentleman. He's she she's had some difficulties, and he's always very comforting, and will sit on her head and and kind of like be her emotional support cat. So there is something very 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 special about black cats. Yeah, well, listen, I mentioned earlier that when I when I met Rocco and Oliver, they already had names and I was going to change their names. I was going to make them mine. Um, but after a couple of weeks with both of them, I was like, whoever named you guys picked the perfect names for both of you. So you get to keep your names. <laughs> so do you think you'll always have a black cat? I think so. But at my age, Dan, at this point, I wonder, because, uh, you know, these cats are four years old, so they could still live a long time. And you don't know when the end of the road is for you. So I, I sometimes wonder, are these the last two cats I'll ever have? I, but now listen, listen, when Mr. Slick passed, I told all my close friends, I'm not getting any more cats. I can't bear losing them again. So I'm just not going to go through that anymore. But Dan, uh, uh, I lasted, I, I think, six weeks before I went out and got Rocco and Oliver. Uh, I was just going crazy. And listen, I kind of think uh, the universe or a higher power or something was looking out for me because um, about four months after I got them is when the pandemic happened and we all kind of got locked in our homes. Right. And I would have more or less gone stir crazy without these two cats as my companion for the next couple of years. So I, I feel like something was looking out for me uh, when I had no cats, something started telling me, go get cats, go get cats now, go now. And so I did. And then that pandemic hit. Well, and before I let you go, I would be remiss not to ask about what you, what you touched on the, the current strike and how you're, how you are weathering through that. So would you mind touching no, on that uh, a little bit? Um, I went through another actor strike many years ago. It was, it was over television commercials um, and we got through that one. So I, I've been weathering this one fine because I'm um, pretty good about um, taking a portion of my earnings and putting them into savings. Uh, but now I'm at the point where it's gone on long enough that I'm worried because I'm going through my savings, paying my bills and stuff. And uh, that's eventually going to run out. So um, I'm, I'm kind of on pins and needles now wanting them to, resolve it and get through it but the the um boy the 
the differences between what the actors need and are asking for and what the producers are willing to give is like a giant moat. It's night and day. And um, the producers keep uh, putting out press uh, releases saying that the it, that uh, this would be resolved if the actors weren't so greedy, which is really just completely preposterous because it's not the actors that are being greedy. Our um, our income has not kept up with inflation for over 20 years. And uh, we used to make a lot of money from television reruns because, you know, the, the TV seasons would run like September to May. And then you right. had June, July and August and they would rerun everything and you made really good residuals for reruns. But reruns don't happen anymore. So we don't make that money anymore. Now it's all on streaming and there's been no plan for how we're paid for streaming. We make almost nothing. I think musicians are experiencing the same thing regarding payments for streaming. So um, uh, that's one of the, the big issues for the actors with the producers. Uh, listen, the producers bring in billions every year. That's billions with a B. They bring in billions every year. They're making more than they ever have. And uh, the actors are just asking to catch up with inflation, but they call us greedy. So um, I, I'm kind of like, wow, you guys make billions and what you want to pay us like five bucks. That's, that's ridiculous. It didn't occur to them that the streaming might need their own. Like, like you said, the, I, I clearly remember May, May sweeps and then reruns and then the fall, it would start again in the fall. It didn't occur right. to them and, that when streaming happened that they would need to renegotiate this. Well, I how think that all they worked. Have, they have purposely ignored it so they could stop paying that money out that we used to make for residuals. Because, listen, Dan, I used to get really good residual checks. I mean, hundreds or thousands of dollars. And now, I'll give you an example. I got a residual check today that was $7.58. My word, my word, my God. So the, so the residuals have just whittled down to almost nothing. And, uh, uh, and it's because the the contract where the residuals format was created was created back in the 60s. I mean, how outdated is that? They, did not, um, they, they didn't want to pay us more, so they did not make a plan for it. And the actors, quite honestly, were very naive for years about streaming taking our residual income away. And uh, now they're fully aware of it, fully aware of it, because it's, it has gone beyond the point of hurting all of us. We can't maintain our lifestyles. We can't pay our rent. We can't keep our homes. Uh, we can't uh, keep our families fed and, and clothes on our backs uh, when we're making nothing. No, not when a check is seven dollars, and, and you're the you're the backbone of your your character actor. You're the backbone of 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 an entire performance. That's right. As I said earlier, the the stars cannot do what they do without us. Listen, I, I, I was on an episode of um, how, to get, how to Get Away with Murder uh, with Viola Davis was the star. And um, I'll, I'll, I will always love that woman because she treated me like an equal and I just had a small part in one scene with her. And uh, we were backstage at one point. She was going over her lines and I was just standing nearby and she looked up at me and she said, why can writers not write the way people talk? And we had a whole conversation about that. And that was... That was respect from her to me. She she treated me like an, like a fellow actor, like an equal player, and didn't in any way um, uh, think I was smaller. I have through the years had a few stars that treated me like I was worthless, but that's been very very few. Almost all of the stars have been very respectful, very kind to me, and really really uh, helped me out. Ted Danson was great. Uh, Allison Janney was great. 
uh, they just they treat you like equals and, and it makes you feel fabulous. Now, listen, Dan, before we go, I want to mention one other cat I had when I was a kid. Please. And the reason I want to mention him is that uh, it actually ties into my acting in a way. When I was a kid, I loved the show The Man from Uncle. And oh, David, David McCallum played a character called Ilya Kuryakin. It's, it's an odd name. So, um, uh, and me and my friends, we didn't play cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians. We played man from uncle. And I always insisted on being Ilya Kuryakin. <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, we got a, this was after the cat I mentioned earlier with the marks on his head, his name was Thomas. And, and he, after he was gone, um, another cat, and, and back then, uh, we didn't go anywhere to get cats. They just kind of showed up. So another gray tabby showed up at the house. And, uh, and I said, can we keep him? Can we keep him? And my mother said, yeah, sure. And I said, can we name him Kuriakin? <laughs> and my, I remember my mom and dad looking at each other like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> but we did name that cat Kuriakin. And uh, I don't know how many years he lived, but... Uh, uh, our neighbors heard us many times go outside. That was an indoor outdoor cat. And we, you know, heard us outside saying here, Kiriakin, here, Kiriakin. <laughs> and they're looking at you like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so before I let you go, can you, what, it, what I like to, the last thing I'd like to do is I like to usually, usually these are, you know, cat rescue people, but I'd like to give the floor for a minute to the person I'm, I'm talking to what advice I, I, again, loaded question. What advice would you give to somebody who's where you were 35 years ago? Regarding cats, regarding cats, your acting career, anything pick, pick okay. one and pick one and run with it. Well, um, regarding cats, I would say, treat them like a, like a family member. Don't, don't treat them like a pet. Treat them like a family member. Be good to them, love them, and they will love you back equally. They just will. And uh, all the people who tell you, oh, I love dogs. I'm a dog person. Cats are awful. Cats don't love anybody. I keep seeing cartoons online about uh, cats being distant and, and thinking bad thoughts about their owners, and they're just not like that at all. They, they love like all other creatures, like, just like the dogs do. They love us, and, and we become their family too. And uh, they look out for us. And um, we uh, we mentioned um, cats sensing when when we had uh, upset emotions and stuff. And uh, I was talking about Mr. Slick. Of all the cats I've ever had, Mr. Slick was a healing cat. He always knew when I was sick. He always knew when I was upset. And he would come to me and do his best to take care of me. Just show me attention. Give me love. Give me extra attention uh, because he knew that something was wrong. And he Absolutely. was really fabulous about that. Uh, in terms of acting, I would, I would advise anybody who's interested in that, just stick to your guns, don't give up. Um, I'm a big fan of the band Steppenwolf, John Kay and Steppenwolf. And they have a song that I adopted as my motto many years ago. Uh, the chorus of that song, the song is called Hold On, but the chorus of that song is never give up, never give in, don't ever betray your dream. And that is exactly what I've done with my acting career. And, and again, I make my living doing that. I'm very proud that I've lived my life doing what I want to do. So, you know, if there's something that's your dream, go for it. And don't let other people talk you out of it. Don't let other people defeat you. Stick to your guns. And just like that song said, never give up, never give in. Don't ever betray your dream. Well, 
Van, I'm I'm proud to consider you a friend. I'm glad I'm glad social media had had a, had a benefit of 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 bringing us together as friends. Yes, I can I I, I I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. Uh, I will edit together. So thank you for dealing with the, the brief hiccup of whatever whatever happened. I don't even know. <laughs> Oh, and, it happens. It happens. And um, and uh, we'll have to do this again. Uh, we could talk for hours, but uh, I know, you know we can. I know we but, can. And and I, listen, I would like to echo the same thing back to you. And uh, people often talk about the internet being this uh, like monster of some sort. And uh, I have made like you some really treasured, valuable friends who are close friends, even though we've never even really met each other. Yeah, it's it's it it does have its benefits. It does have its positives, and you know, just a shared love of of of, of a once great band. Don't get me started. As as brought us to be, uh, you, you notice I haven't asked any yes questions because that's a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down. Oh, but, I totally uh, understand. I totally understand. You know that singer is like the muse of my life. I, I just quoted Steppenwolf, but yet that that singer of that band that we're talking about. Um, has completely, totally transformed who I am and how I treat other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but Van, thank you so much for doing this. Um, this is definitely a major highlight of my little show. Thank you so much. We'll definitely have you on again with more, with more cat stories and more acting stories. I hope the strike ends soon. I hope, I hope, I know we'll see you in more amazing roles and thank you so much. Well, I certainly hope so. And thank you for asking me to do this. It's been a pleasure. Great. Take care. Thank you. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there you have it, my friends, Dan the Catman here. Um, again, that used to come from a cooking show. Uh, Marianne Esposito, she used to say, and there you have it. Anyway, that was an amazing conversation. Definitely worth putting up with the time difference for. I could listen to him for hours. He's just a dear, dear friend, a wonderful human being, and has just done amazing things as an actor, an advocate for his profession, a fan of the band Yes, <laughs> which we share a passion for, and he's owned and has been owned by some amazing cats. So, I hope you enjoyed that episode. We'll see you next week for episode 40. Damn! Episode 40. That's crazy. Have a great week. Be sure to give love to all your cats. If you don't have one, go adopt one. So many wonderful cats need homes. And you could just enjoy and experience the unconditional feline love that us cat people get to experience on a daily basis. Have a great week and we'll see you in the next episode.